0: a must-read article uh, every single week in the Herald Sun is when Mick McGowan uh, takes you through either review of the week before or, more importantly, the preview of the weeks to come. And there's the biggest week of football um, in terms of, for the purest, for the fans, we see some of the great games of the season every year in preliminary final week. And a man who knows the stage well, he knows the biggest stage of all well, uh, premiership winner with the Pies himself, is uh, always so generous with his time. He's written a beautiful article uh, about his love affair with the Collingwood Football Club. We'll ask him about that. But if we want to get a handle on how these, these games are going to be won and lost tactically, we go to Mick McGowan. Hello, Mick.
1: G'day, Simon. How
0: are you, mate? Very well, thank you. Um, Let's get to the emotional side of this. Uh, We'll get to the emotional part of this for you uh, in a bit. But let's uh, talk tactics. Um, And then you're one of the best at this. So tomorrow night, MCG, Cats, top of the ladder, two games clear. They've gone straight through to a prelim after winning uh, week one. They come up against the Brisbane Lions side, who were the only team going into finals that had actually come off a loss. Everybody riding them off against Richmond, more so against Melbourne. Um, They've played in two incredibly entertaining and thrilling games uh, and they're through to a prelim. Um, How is this game going to be won and lost? We'll start with the Cats. If they're to win, how will they win it?
1: I think it's all about restricting the Brisbane strength. That's how the stoppage and also their ability to transition the ball from defensive 50 to inside 50 and actually hitting the scoreboard because one thing we do know, If you don't curtail Brisbane's ball movement out of that end, they've got a capacity to score. And that was clearly evident against Melbourne last week where 50% of their total score was on the back of that back-to-front ball movement. And that's the reason why they won the game. And when you talk Geelong, they've been so good at defending opposition ball movement. That's why they're ranked number one when it comes to that facet of the game. So you've got a ball-moving team in Brisbane and a team that can stifle opposition's ball movement in Geelong and I think that's where the game will be won or lost.
0: And the thing about Geelong this year, Mick, as we stick with them for a moment, is they're the best left-ranked defence. So Melbourne are gone, Fremantle are gone. It's the entertainment era footy that we're in where a premium is put on attack. But to win a premiership over the last 15, 20 years, by and large, um, you need to be top four in both offence and defence. Um, two teams out of the four left are that in Geelong and Sydney. Geelong this year, in the way that they've been able to move the footy a lot quicker, do you feel like they're in as good a position as they've ever been maybe since, what, 2011?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, I've been in their corner probably from around probably 10 or 11 this year. Just love what they stand for. They're good in contest. I love the purity of the game they play with, and that comes back to field-kicking. And I suppose it just proved two weeks ago, if the pressure applied, irrespective of how good a team you are with ball in hand, you can certainly come back to the field pretty quickly. And I thought Collingwood was magnificent in disrupting the kicking efficiency and taking away a lot of uncontested possession on the back of that pressure. But I suppose the upside for Geelong was, as much as they didn't get a lot of ball from back half to front half to score, um, their first three quarters in that first final, their points from defensive half, they only scored 15 points, two goals, three from that part of the ground. But when the game was up for grabs in that last 30 minutes of play, when Collingwood was still applying pressure, they found a way to kick 18 points in one quarter as opposed to 15 points in the previous three. And that's the reason why they got over the line. You have a look at that last play, Sam. Stewart was off balanced. He kicks it to his teammate. His teammate could have easily fumbled it. He handballs to Duncan. Duncan could have fumbled it. He had composure to give it back to Guthrie, who handballed it to him. And then he's got his shoulders out and kicks to the space of Cameron, who gives it to Rowan, who in turn gives it to Holmes, and they kick the winning goal. That's the type of ball handling skill that you need under extreme pressure. We see a lot of players fold under pressure and they fumble and make poor decisions. But I thought the experience of Stewart the Guthrie, back to Duncan, Duncan back to Guthrie, out to Cameron, into Rowan who drops the mark, but there has he has a teammate to assist and Holmes is that person that finished that goal. Those plays are so critical in the game of footy.
0: Richmond got beaten by what they knew against Brisbane. Um, for a half a footy, Melbourne had Lockie Neal pinned down, inexplicably made a change. Lockie Neal gets off the chain Geelong are going to need to put a, put work into a couple of Brisbane players. Who
1: do you like to go to who? Well, I think there'd be serious consideration from Chris Scott to look after Lockie Neal. His first final was exceptional. Mm. He really got to work in the second final, and I thought his second half was magnificent. Yep. He made loose balls his own ball, and there was a defining one on the wing where oh, yeah. and he body-lined the ball between Petrarca and Oliver Those boys were probably a little bit apprehensive to go. Lockie Neal wasn't. Yeah. He won the ball and just Unreal. Unbelievable. And So I've been looking at curtailing his influence. Who is that man? Round four, O'Connor went to him. He still had 30, 12, and 18. I reckon Atkins is the man for the job. He's got a low centre of gravity. I thought his final last week was off the charts. Everyone was talking about Cameron and Stewart's influence, Mm. and rightfully so, but not much credit was given to Tom Atkins. Uh, His game was absolutely off the charts. 23 disposals, incredible possessions that he won in contest, especially when the game was in balance. He won 14 ground balls. He just got after that lose, 48 clearances and nine tackles. So he was prepared to work both sides of the ball in and around numbers and congestion. And I think he could be the one that could be the cooler against Lockie Neal if that decide not to go with one initially. but There's no question Atkins or if O'Connor makes a the team, they've got two viable options to quell the influence of Lockie Neal if need be.
0: So what about these lines? Top two in the competition for attack. Their defence has been the Achilles heel at, at, at multiple stages. Ball movement they struggle to defend, but their pressure has really ramped up in the two finals that they've won. So while they're still being scored on, it, it, it's, it's a lot more difficult than it has been. Um, where do they represent... the? What part of their game represents the biggest threat to Geelong? Mick?
1: I think around stoppage, to be honest. They're both very strong turnover teams. Um, On average, I think Brisbane, by memory, they average about 56 points per game, whereas Geelong are 58. So Mm. there's not much difference in terms of how they punish the opposition they play against when it comes to the turnover game. I suppose if there's one chink, and it's only a small chink in Geelong's weaponry, it's probably Ruck, Stanley, and midfield. They get scored against at stoppage whereas we know Brisbane are very effective at that part of the ground. Lockie Neal leads away. Competitive Ruckman-McInerney. You've got Berry who can go through there. Zorko rolls through there. McClone's rolls through there. They they win it and they get good territory. And if they isolate and separate and divide and conquer the defensive strength of Geelong, they can clearly hit the scoreboard. But that's on the back of strong stoppage, which equates to territory. So I think that's the area they should be trying to master. It's not ideal because it's not... What we usually equate to winning games of footy, knowing the primary source or the best source to score from is turnover. But if there's a thirty goal or thirty six point points advantage from stoppage, I think that could be the difference if they happen to win the game.
0: So they started with Dev Robertson on Clayton Oliver last week. It did an okay job, but then the move was made to put Jared Berry, and that was an inspired decision. Apparently, it started um, with Cam Bruce, uh, Chris Fagan, green lit it. Um, and it was probably the defining decision made in the game. Jared Berry had his greatest half a footy in his career, I think 22 disposals, uh, five clearances, um, and, and pushed Oliver around, which you don't ever see. So is there a role for Berry again? And would you be expecting... Chris Scott to start Dangerfield and Selwood on the bench again or and is that to try and disrupt any potential tag on Dangerfield? Um, should Chris Fagan be looking to put Berry on a danger from the opening bounce?
1: I don't think he will and I see no reason why he should mm. considering Danger's year. We know he's a moments player. Uh, we know he's a contested bull. But has he had the preparation to sustain 75 to 80 percent game time in a pressure cooker of a preliminary Um, final—that's questionable. As good as Dangerfield has been in his career, sometimes I just revert to a simple philosophy that Lee Matthews taught me many, many years ago. Sam, and sometimes you just got to say, where does this boy play his best footy? We tried him as a winger because he's got great aerobic capacity. My cousin Harry Sharp's the best runner of Brisbane. Jared Berry's their second best runner when it comes to time trials. So they try to give him the tram track up and down the wing roll, which is so important in today's footy, specifically because Mitch Robinson was on his decline. But yeah. he he was got he was got to the club on the back of being an inside bull. Now I've known him since his country days, but also from the North Ballarat Rebels. And everyone I speak to in Ballarat, due to my connection back there, has said he's a bull. He yeah. plays his best footy when he hunts the footy.
0: Beautiful. Now he
1: was given a role against Oliver last week but notwithstanding the role that he played to stop him at stoppage and take away his influence, when the ball was loose or it was in space, he got after that loose footy. He didn't become single-minded about Oliver and his movements. If the ball was there to be won, Barry went and won it. And that's the reason why he had nine contested possessions in the second half and he had six score involvements. He had a fantastic second half and full credit to Fagan putting a player who was needed at that time into an area to change the fortunes of the result. Because let's face it, they were getting smashed in the first half contested ball. They were minus 23. In the second half, they were plus four. And that was on the back of one boat with Lockie Neal, who drove standards around the footy. All
0: right, we've got to get to the Swans and the Pies. Uh, we're running short of time. So the Swans, where tactically can Sydney make sure that they get through to their first grand final since 2016?
1: Oh, I think tactically they've got to get a lot right around the ball. I wouldn't be surprised. I'll try to empty out their front half as much as possible to roll the fifth and sixth Hayward, or possibly even use Tom Papley as a spitter out of stoppage. Get up, involved in centre bounce, spit forward, create chaos on that transition. Who comes up? Who spits forward? I don't think Collingwood have got a match up for Papley. Uh, he's danger for me, and also Isaac Kini. He'll probably get Maynard, even though Maynard might start in the centre square. But I think from a tactical advantage, strategy points viewpoint. I reckon they'll go into kick mark a bit to take away Collingwood's pressure game. Mm. And on those short, the shorter ground, the smaller ground, the opportunity to really apply great pressure is, will be there for both teams. But who actually masters the pressure of the opposition but then still able to execute and find players in space by kicking accurately to mark the footy? As we know, we can't tackle a bloke that marks the ball. When you watch that game closely four weeks ago, that's what Sydney did magnificently. So I think in terms of immediate reference, Collingwood will be trying to reference and locate three opponents quicker than what they did that day. But obviously Sydney will be trying to look to control the ball and get into a bit of tempo control to take that pressure that Collingwood will be applying. I reckon also they'll try to get Buddy up the ground, um, try to move Darcy more around, yep. because Darcy at the moment with how a combination they're very, very hard to play against. And that's the reason why they're playing in the primary final. Because as you mentioned earlier, it's all about defence first and on the back of strong defence comes your attack.
0: All right. Let's go analytically with the Pies first, Mick McGuan, before I ask you briefly about the emotion for you for this weekend. So where is the tactical advantage to be utilised on a Collingwood side of things?
1: I think it's all about their defensive structure. They've got to get that right. But from a tactical standpoint, I think they'll just play the game. Yeah. They've invited chaos. They've embraced imperfection. Uh, they don't dwell on mistakes. They just want to win the footing, get to the num- outnumber, and then surge. have that surge mentality of trying to get it forward at a rapid rate. You'll find Dacos leaving his post. You'll see Johnny Noble leave his post. Through the midfield, they'll try to get out the front of stoppage. If the opposition happen to win it, they've got numbers at uh, the pressure stakes. and If they turn it over, they'll all swarm forward as quickly as they possibly can and get it into their forwards, particularly Elliot and Mychek, as quick as they possibly can. And then they'll come in behind their attack to squeeze the ground and cover exits to take away that, one, when they do intercept the Sydney Swans, that rebounding uh, slingshot footy that they know they're capable of. Uh, they'll be trying to take away... That kick-mark game, they have to because you can't allow Sydney to control it because they've got so many good ball users. The the game's got to live in motion. The ball's got to be in motion all the time. That'll invite Collingwood's pressure game and on the back of that forced turnover. But one thing they've got to do, as much as they created 17 scores from turnover last week against Fremantle, they've got to tidy up their accuracy in front of goal. Kicking seven goals, 10 from that source was not good enough because if you waste your opportunity against Sydney, you might as well pack your bags and you won't get to a grand final berth.
0: How's the emotion for
1: you? Oh, yeah, I'm a to be controlled at the moment, but um, <laughs> it was interesting. I spoke to the powers-to-be at the Herald Sun and they just said, go away from a previous situation this week. We want you to do a one-off an emotional attachment to your time as a Collingwood player, the people you meet at that footy club, uh, who was your idol, what was it like growing up as a Collingwood supporter. So I tried to morph it in probably a part of history in the past, but talk about the future and it collides and the emotional roller coaster barricade for Collingwood has been for me yeah. as a young kid growing up what's he, 77, 79, 80, 81 all losses all and then you go to school and you get ridiculed and people challenge you and the only way you knew then was to stand your ground and fight the fight and that might end up at the back of the shelter shed and you'd be in the Sister Mercy's office the next morning and yeah. then phone call to <laughs> Mum and Dad and punish come by way but you'd do it again then you sort of connect with, you know, your boyhood Idol, Dacos. You saw Dacos on Channel 7 last week, the passion yeah. that's coming through his voice. Walked to Sydney, he said. But he was my Idol with Billy Pickin. Unfortunately, Billy's not around on the back of his passing um, only a couple of months ago. Um, but all these vivid memories certainly flow back, driving down that Western Freeway to Victoria Park to watch the Pies and your old man trying to give you some information about players you should be watching as a 13, 14-year-old kid is not dissimilar to what I'm doing to my son who's hopefully living the dream and trying to get to a father-son situation in, in future years. And he's playing pretty good footy at the moment. But the irony of it was because he was and invited into the Sydney Swans cheer squad only a couple of weeks ago, and he had a Sydney Swans jumper on. So that won't be happening this week, I can guarantee. Otherwise, you won't be coming
0: up <laughs> with me. Hey, Mick, I love catching up with you. You're always so generous with your time, mate. Thank you so much.
1: Anytime, Sammy. We'll go for yourself, mate.
0: Uh, he's a good man. Mick McGowan, read his articles in the Herald Sun, the most important players for each team and the emotional connection with him and the Collingwood Football Club. We'll wrap it all up on the Sporting Capital on the other side of this. Stuff for your face and body. It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.